Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. What in the world did those two have to do with each other? Well, as we'll see in just a few moments, quite a bit actually, um, we would think on the surface, one's just dinner for the other guy. But it's a little more than that. Turn to John, if you will, chapter 1. We're going to look at John chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5 today to look at this, this idea of the lamb and the lion not only walking together and being together, but being as one. We'll see that in just a few minutes. We've been talking about this month, this idea of being full of grace and truth, how Jesus was all grace, all truth, all the time. And as our model if we were to walk in balance between those two things, can we do both perfectly all the time? No, we can't. But we can learn to walk in balance. And it seems as though in our culture and often in the church, a church has either bent in that one direction or the other, bent toward grace or bent toward truth. It seems in our lives we're sometimes either bent toward grace or bent toward truth. And God wants us to walk together in balance in those two things. They are not polar opposites. They are designed to be married to each other as we live out and walk out this, this walk of faith. So let's look at John chapter 1, verses 26 to 29 together and look at this idea of the lamb first. John 1, 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, a couple of things today I want us to see. This is not going to be an exhaustive look. We don't have time for an exhaustive look at the lion and the lamb, but some quick looks at who he is in both regards. The lamb, first of all, I want us to see comes out of nowhere comes out of nowhere. Look at 26 again. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, he says. Jesus and John the Baptist were contemporaries. They were raised in the same area, in the same region. Uh, we learn later in verse 31 that John had not met Jesus yet prior to his coming to be, to be, uh, to be baptized by him, but he also is pointing to the fact that though many in the crowd had likely seen Jesus, uh, they wouldn't have thought anything extraordinary about him, that he was anything unusual or or above the ordinary, though he was no ordinary Joe, for sure. He certainly came off that way as he steps into the scene here of his ministry in his early 30s, very humbly, and as I said, uh, coming out of nowhere. Now, Nazareth was nowheresville. Uh, think Luttrell, Tennessee, when you think of Nazareth. That's, that's about the size of Nazareth. And, and that region, Nazareth, was, was kind of the armpit <laughs> of that region. It, it was seen as, as a nothing place, a nothing town, and that's where he came from. And, and, and as, I, as I said a moment ago, comes seemingly from nowhere. And that is by design, by the way. We'll, we don't have time to get into that today, but that's by design as well, that, that the Savior of the world come from Podunkville to save us from our sins. Uh, but he makes no grand entrance here, no parade, no fanfare, no laser light show going on. Just, just a, a humble step into 
into his ministry with humility and grace. This was, of course, totally unexpected by the Jews because they were looking for a king and a kingly entrance into, into his ministry beginning. But he totally comes in in obscurity here, more or less, and uh, steps into the scene, not as a king, but as a servant. That's what the lamb is to do. So the lamb comes out of nowhere. Secondly, the lamb, look at this, takes our sins away. Look at verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of the world. As I said, there was indeed no grand entrance here, but there was an announcement by John. And this announcement begins Jesus' ministry and brings John's to a close. I think it's also significant that John's announcement here, he refers to Jesus as the Lamb. Lambs were not Old Testament uh, enforcers of the law. They were instead uh, sacrificed to the death for the people who broke the law. Their blood was put on the sacrifice to pay for, for their sins. The sacrificial lambs were the Old Testament examples of grace. Uh, grace that erased the penalty for a person's sins. And if John had stopped with, here's the Lamb of God, Jesus' ministry probably would have gone on uncontested for a long time. He wouldn't have been put to death. But he adds, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, only God takes away sin of the world. And so this human stepping into this scene, very ordinary Joe, human stepping into this scene, made that statement scandalous. And as such, from that very moment forward, the scribes and Pharisees were uh, out to get him and out to do away with him. Uh, he's, he, 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 everyone had been taught that God, only God can take away sins, yet here's this mortal walking into the scene as, as a young adult, uh, at John's claim and his ability to do that. So what they'd been taught was the law or their version of the truth, or at least all the truth that they knew at that time. What they're about to see, though, was the lamb, this picture of grace, uh, the eraser. I think there's a movie titled The Eraser. I think it's probably an assassin, I would guess. But, but um, Jesus came to assassinate sin, more or less. He was, he was the eraser, the, the perfect lamb to take away the sin of the world. So he comes out of nowhere, the lamb does, and comes to take our sins away. Now turn to Revelation chapter 5. I want us to look at a brief look here at the lion, what the lion's role in all this is. I love this passage, Revelation 5, verses 1 to 8. It says this, Then I saw in the right hand, this is John writing, I saw in the right hand of, of him who sat on the throne the scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on, on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center before the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. You get this picture? The lion... First of all, is the one who's in charge. 
He's the one who's in charge. Look at verse 5 again with me. It says that uh, I wept, verse 4, verse 5. Then, then one of the elders came to me and said, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. One of the elders announces, look, or see, or hey, or behold. There's, there's the lion. Notice this lion. So, and, and he lays out his credentials here. It says he's the, of the tribe of Judah, which was the Messianic tribe where Messiah would come from. He was uh, from the root of David, meaning he was born in the, in the lineage and family tree of David. In fact, was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. It's the next line, though, that matters. It says, he is the one who can open the scroll. He is the one who can open the scroll. Now, theologians speculate on what is written on the scroll, and they're all over the place on it, everything from the commandments to new covenant with Israel. J. Vernon McGee, who I study after a lot, believes it's the title deed to the world. It may or may not be. None of us know, but it is, it is nonetheless a binding uh, legal, authoritative document that, that applies to all of us in our sin in some way. So uh, it, it is, it, it is uh, uh, us who will answer to the truth and the one who knows the truth, he's the one who has the authority to open the scroll. Uh, why is that the case? Because whatever's in the scroll is ultimately true and everyone will be held accountable to it, you and I as well. And the lion who is the one who has truth himself holds the key to the truth. There's something that's also totally unique about this line besides the fact that he's in charge. That's the second thing I want us to see, and that is the lion is also the lamb. The lion is the lamb. Look at verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center before the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, the one that was announced by the elder as the lion is also the lamb here. He's not just any lamb, but he's certainly not this weak and vulnerable lamb that we just saw on the screen. In fact, look at this description here. It says, encircled by four living creatures on, uh, uh, and the elders, the lamb had seven horns, seven eyes. Imagine all this. Which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So here's this description of nothing that looks like any lamb you've ever seen before, but probably something you, that would intimidate you if you stood before it. I don't know, it, it would and does me, just the, the very thought of that picture. The lamb depicted in the Old Testament as, as a sacrificial, uh, sacrificial substitute for our sins is as a form of New Testament grace here. It's nothing like what we see pictured here. So what was announced as a lion then appears as a lamb it's like no other lamb you've ever known. In fact, turn over to chapter 6 and look with me, if you will, at verse 15 and 16. Chapter 6. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, watch this, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? The wrath, not of the lion, of the, the wrath of the lamb. Uh, what's he saying? It's, he's saying here that there's a season to, to the grace of God. There's a season to where the lamb is sacrificial, and there's a point at which the lamb doesn't become sacrificial anymore, but it becomes 
judge, jury, and executioner. And he, that's the part he's talking about there in, in chapter 6. Listen to this excerpt, if you will, from uh, the Grace and Truth Paradox, a great book that's in the toolbox back here behind you, by the way, if you want to check it out. Uh, this, is, this is an excerpt from that Grace and Truth Paradox by Randy Alcorn. When a musical instrument strings go loose, it sounds awful, but you can also over-tighten the strings, breaking them or creating discord. There's a perfect tension to grace and truth, which makes the gospel's music. Martin Luther said that the devil doesn't care which side of the horse we fall off of as long as we don't stay in the saddle. We need to ride the horse with one foot in the stirrup of truth, the other in the stirrup of grace. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, by C.S. Lewis, Susan asked Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan, the lion. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you, would, that you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's one who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. Christ is good. But until we understand that he's not safe, until we come to grips with the truth of his uncompromising holiness, we'll never begin to grasp his grace. Many today try and reinvent Jesus, giving him a facelift. They spin his statements for public consumption, making him fit popular notions of the kind of Christ people want. But he's notoriously uncooperative with all the attempts to repackage and market him. He's not looking for image and answers. We're to follow him as servants, not walk in front of him as a PR entourage. He isn't safe, but he's good. As we wrap up today, a couple of thoughts. First is this. The lion and the lamb are representations, earthly representations of truth and grace. Because they represent both. And Jesus himself is both. But, and that brings us to our second point, only for a season. Only for a season. We're in that season. We're in the season that theologians refer to as the church age. Others refer to as the age of grace. From the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ. We are in that season. But there's, a, there's an expiration date on that season. He knows exactly when that is. The window of grace is going to close, and when it closes, friend, it's going to close forever. So, do you know him? Do you know him? I'm not talking about do you know about him? Do you know some stories? Do you know some songs? Do you know him? Now, how many times have you, been, have you been to church? But do you know him personally? Has there ever been a point at which you've realized your lostness and invited him into your heart, prayed to receive him as your Savior? Do you know him? I invite you today, if you don't, to allow the grace of God to be applied to the truth of your sin and come to know him as your Savior. Please don't leave here without him. If you know him, then let's learn to walk out imperfectly, albeit, but let's learn to walk out this balance of grace and truth. Uh, it is a, 
It is a dance. Sometimes it's hard for some, depending on how you're wired. I'm wired toward truth. I'm such a black and white guy. It's hard for me to see grace, to, to receive it even, to, to apply it sometimes. I, I have to work at grace. And I've been working at it. I'm still working at it. I'm not anywhere close to, to arrival. You may be in, on, on the grace side of things, and truth is hard for you to deal with sometimes. I get it. I understand it. Let's, let, let, let's seek to walk that balance and, and, and step into that dance of this balance of grace and truth because the danger of all grace is we believe nothing except nothing and say, well, as long as you're sincere, everything's okay. And the balance of all truth says everything's black and white, and if you don't agree with me, you're wrong about everything. And somewhere in the middle there between grace and truth is where we need to find ourselves with the truth of his word, the grace of his spirit, allowing that to be walked out, lived out every day in our life. That's, that's, that's quite the challenge for us, or at least it is for me. So I want to encourage you, whatever area that you're strong in, let's, let's learn to shore up the weakness. If you're, in, if you're stronger in grace, get your nose in this book and start to, start to learn what the truths of Scripture are and how to walk those out and live those out. If you're like me and you're very black and white, learn to see others through a lens of grace. Learn to look at your own sin and your own failure and see others through a lens of grace as well. Uh, God will honor that in, in incredible ways. I promise you will. Let's pray. Father, today, here we are at various stages of brokenness. None of us walked in this room fully arrived and, and, and never will, honestly. But here we are uh, in honest admission before you to say we're not all that and we realize that. We need a measure and a dose of your grace poured into our lives daily to just make it. Just get up and make it. Then we need to pull up and examine and, and, and search for and, and chew on and digest and walk out your truth as well. Otherwise, nobody understands what we're about. And they spend eternity in a place called hell because we never shared the truth with them. We didn't know enough to share. Each of us have a story, though, a story of how grace has been poured all over our sin and a story of how the truth of our sin wants to haunt us, wants the enemy to to have freedom to, to do what he wants with us. The truth is the enemy's bound and once the lion and the lamb take over, the grace age is over and the enemy's over and done with and he knows that. So today would you help us to maximize the days we're in? You're coming soon, I believe. Would you help us to maximize the days we're in because there are those around us, folks we work with, perhaps even folks we're under the same roof with at home and as family members that do not know you as their Savior? Would you have the grace to soften their heart to the, to the truth of the gospel? Perhaps in this room today, others that are here that don't know you as Savior, would you speak out to them today as we pray? Draw them to yourself by way of your Spirit. Let them see the power of grace being poured all over their sin. Thank you for your, your word today. Thank you for these reminders of, of this balance that we've called to walk, just like you, full of grace, full of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.